it looks like it from here. It is hard to tell what's live and what's tape anymore, but it looks like this is yet another. Um, uh, FBI does not like the word assault. Uh, foray might be a bit too gentle, but uh, they're, they're knocking uh, into that building and destroying that section of it, so you're seeing it. And there's a lot of things that we can't see from this vantage point, but I can tell you from down the road, we can see the smoke from here coming out of that compound. But it is not possible in this life to control the behavior of others in every circumstance. These people killed four federal officials in the line of duty. They were heavily armed. They fired on federal officials yesterday repeatedly, and they were never fired back on. ATF agents infiltrate the Branch Davidian compound, looking for a cache of guns. Instead, they become the target of a madman's fury. Because of the children, they have evidence that those children are still being abused and that they're in increasingly unsafe conditions and that they don't think it will get any easier with time, with the passage of time, because of the children, cause of the children, cause of the children, the children. What really happened that fateful day in 1993, April of? One of the most tragic events in American history took place, and yet all these years later, we still don't know the full truth, the whole story, and how deep the rabbit hole actually goes. What took place and what was the buildup? What have been the ramifications? And what secrets still lie buried atop Mount Carmel? 911, what's your emergency? There's 75 men around our building and they're shooting at us in Mount Carmel. Tell them there are children and women in here to call it off. It all started in February 1993. It was arraigned by more than 70 agents from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms against David Koresh and his followers, the Branch Davidians. According to officials, Sunday, February 28, 1993, at about 9.30 a.m., agents of the uh, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms attempted to execute an arrest and search warrant against David Koresh and the Branch Davidian compound. Gunfire erupted almost immediately. Four ATF agents are killed and 16 are wounded, reports state. An undetermined number of Davidians are killed and injured, all, mind you, while there are children within. Within a few hours, the FBI becomes the lead agency for resolving the standoff. Jeff Jamar is named the on-site commander. By that afternoon of February 28th, advanced units of the FBI's hostage rescue team arrive and telephone conversations are underway with Koresh, Steven Schneider, and Wayne Martin on one side. On the other side is the ATF's Jen Kavanaugh and Waco Police Lieutenant Larry Lynch. Koresh discloses at the time that he had been wounded in the hip and left wrist. Koresh is allowed to broadcast his religious teachings on Dallas Radio KRLD and actually does a CNN phone interview. March 2nd, 1993, my name is Dave Koresh, I'm speaking to you from Mount Carmel Center. The first thing that I would like to introduce in our subject is the reasons for the revelation of Jesus Christ. In the book of Revelation, 
commentary states that what John has written in Scripture is nothing other than the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave to him. Michael Schroeder, a Branch Davidian, is killed that same day while he tries to return to the main building. Texas Rangers immediately begin an investigation but are barred from doing so and from continuing the investigation. At about 5.30 p.m., Jamar arrives at Waco and chooses Byron Sage of the FBI as the chief negotiator. President Clinton follows events closely and is updated. The events begin to unfold. February turns into March, and March turns into April, and April turns into the 19th, a day when almost all the remaining Branch Davidians die in a fire and no one knows how the fire began. Today, virtually all of the evidence from Waco, much of its paperwork from many different government agencies that are involved, is actually stored in a secured room in Waco. In fact, the federal judge handling the civil trial ordered it collected, stockpiled, and locked away so that no one was able to tamper with it, and few have actually been able to see it. The Branch Davidians claim themselves to be an apocalyptic victim. The government claims that it made no mistake. One official actually says off record that the government made a lot of mistakes and it is yet to take full responsibility for those mistakes. Now when we say raid, what are we talking about? We are talking about a massive movement of manpower to accomplish something that some say could have been done at any time and with minimal, if at all, loss of life. The fact of the matter is, as you're going to see ahead, that there were a lot of confusing and conflicting realities. There was one reality of the ATF, another reality of the Branch Davidians, and somewhere in between is the reality of truth. At the time of the raid, it was supposed that Koresh and his followers had a large cache of high-powered weapons. That's something for you to remember down the road. We'll circle back to that again. It was also believed that there were the ability there to manufacture guns and explosives. That's something you're also going to want to remember when we hit the bottom of the rabbit hole. There's also reports that children were being abused and sexually assaulted and abused. Again, remember these three major things down the road. We'll circle back around. At the time, these allegations were unfounded, but the ATF, the FBI, they got involved. Now, The truth of the matter is, the police and the local sheriff had actually been there many times. In fact, it was reported that a shooting partner of Koresh was the sheriff of Waco. They would actually go out on the range and shoot together. There had been nothing that had happened locally. They were reported to be good neighbors. But the ATF and the FBI had received some kind of information, something that demanded such a massive show of power and an ultimate devastation of the Branch Davidians. The ATF suspected that the group had explosives and parts to manufacture machine guns illegally. When it arrived to search the compound, the shooting started almost immediately. And the question has always been asked and yet to be answered, who started the shooting? Now, as you're going to see in some of the video clips, we've been there, we've seen it. And there is no way to sneak up on this Branch Davidian compound. They saw them coming. Off to our left down this road is where the actual ATF house was where they were observing David Koresh. 
What's fascinating, and we just spoke with a member that was here, in fact the wife of the author of a very famous book, is that David Koresh every morning would jog this lane. Follow me just a little bit and let me show you how easy it would have been to take David Koresh if you wanted to. He jogs from the compound to this front section here. These iron gates weren't here at the time, but this road was. David Koresh, by himself, if he wasn't at Walmart, if he wasn't playing in a bar, he would run out here and down this road. There were no need for tanks. There was no need for black helicopters. There was no need for the ATF to storm and set a building on fire. Here, David Koresh would jog. Across the street, that is not the house. There was an ATF house that was right next to it, and that was where they monitored David Koresh. But like everything else that was associated with the government, that house has been destroyed. The ground leveled. Whatever and for whatever reason, the government could not leave anything to chance that something would be left behind. The house, the buildings, all gone, except for the memory of those people and that awful day. But the question is, who started shooting first? It's not as if the Branch Davidians did not know that the ATF were there. In fact, across the street, there was a supposed uh, a hideout where the ATF were doing espionage on the Branch Davidians, and yet the Branch Davidians knew that it was there, realized it was there, and never did anything about it. In fact, it was reported that David Koresh often jogged in the mornings. He had been seen at a local bar, had been shopping, and yet never had he been arrested at any of those points. Now, this appears to have been not so much a search warrant execution, but an invasion. When they arrived at the compound, the shooting began. Who started it? We don't know. Why? We don't know. The tapes and the claims that made show some believe that Koresh and his followers actually started shooting. That's what we were told at the very beginning. But many contradictory testimonies, some even from official ATF and FBI sources, state that that is not what happened. Whatever happened on that day, it turned into a seven-week ordeal. For more than seven weeks, the FBI tried to persuade the Davidians to come out. The standoff ended on the morning of April 19th when a tank, a tank, yes, you heard that correctly, a tank and other armored vehicles moved in. The FBI spent the next several hours shooting tear gas into the compound. Shortly after noon, the building was engulfed in flames. By the end of the day, more than 70 men, women, and children were dead. So what exactly happened on April 19th? Well, the official report states as following, and I'm reading from the official report and dialogue. At 5.59 a.m., Mr. Sage telephones the Davidians, notifying them of an imminent tear gas assault. Sage reads a message over the loudspeaker advising the Davidians that they are under arrest and should come out. Individuals inside the Branch Davidian compound, exit the compound now. Submit to the proper authority, David. David, you have had your 15 minutes of fame. It's time to leave the building. At 6.02 a.m., two FBI combat engineer vehicles, or CEVs, or you and I would call tanks, begin inserting gas into the compound through spray nozzles attached to a boom. 
At 6.04 a.m., the Davidians start shooting, or so we're led to believe. There has been no credible video evidence that show gunfire coming out of the Davidian compound at this point. However, there is credible video evidence that shows gunfire going into the compound at this point. In fact, one witness said that some people tried to come out and were actually shot back into the compound. The FBI began, after they were shooting, began deploying Bradley vehicles to insert ferret rounds through the window. At 6.31, the HRT reports that the entire building is being gassed. At 7 a.m., Reno and senior advisors, that's Janet Reno, uh, Mr. Janet Reno to some of you. Hi, I'm Janet Reno. Senior advisors go to the FBI Situation Room. At 7.30, a CEV breaches the front side of the building on the first floor. Now, if you'll look at the picture, breach is such a very political way of saying it. It wasn't a breach. It tore the wall down. In fact, they gutted the walls so much, it almost created a natural ventilation that would enhance flames and fire with that Waco, Texas wind blowing through it. I'm sure that that was a coincidence. Another CEV begins enlarging the opening in the middle front of the building, from which the Davidians could escape, they believed. And the third CEV, with a boom but lacking a gas delivery system, breaches the rear side of the building to create openings near the gymnasium. At about 11 a.m., Reno talks to Clinton, saying everything seems to be going well, and she leaves for a judicial conference in Baltimore at 11.30 a.m. The CEV, without a gas delivery system, breaches the back side of the compound, concentrating on the back right corner near the warehouse and the gymnasium. At 11.40 a.m., the last ferret rounds are delivered, and at 11.45, a wall on the right rear side of the building collapses. Now, what's fascinating is, is that no one at this point says, you know what, nobody is coming out. Nobody is waving a white flag. This has been going on now for, oh, let's see here, about an hour at 11 a.m., even more than that. It's been going on really since, since you know, 7 o'clock in the morning. Nobody has surrendered. Nobody's waved a white flag. Maybe we should back off a little bit. What's happening? No, they just keep going on and tearing down and shooting and going on. At 12.07, it is reported, it is reported that the Davidians start simultaneous fires at three or more different locations within the compound. An HRT observer reports seeing a male starting a fire in the front of the building. Now, fascinatingly, None of the ferret rounds were fired at this male starting a fire. He was allowed to just go ahead and start the fire. Of course, if you tried to come out at this time prior to that, you were shot at and sent back in. But this particular male seems to have no problem starting a fire. They obviously were able to see him. Nobody fired any rounds. Nobody did anything. Just seemed to allow it happen as if that male starting a fire was there on purpose. At 12.12 p.m., Sage calls on Koresh to lead the Davidians out to safety, to lead them out into the ferret rounds, into the weaponry rounds, into the tanks. Nine Davidians flee the compound immediately and are arrested. At 12.25 p.m., the FBI hears systematic gunfire coming from the compound, leaving several agents the impression that the Davidians are either killing themselves or each other. At 12.41, firefighting efforts begin. HRT agents enter tunnels to search for survivors, especially children. Now let that sink in, especially children. 
they were ramming their Bradleys into the building, saturating the place in tear gas, seemingly allowing a guy to set on fire. And there are children inside? Because of the children. What you're looking at here is what remains of the actual bus. The storm shelter bus that David Koresh and his followers, however misguided, however false doctrine they were, used to simply try to get out of the storm. What they could not do was get out of the storm of the ATF. This is the remnant of the bus. In the afternoon, at that unspecified time, Hubble speaks to McClarity, two officials. After her appearance on ABC's television program Nightline, Reno talks again to Clinton. Sometime in mid-morning, an apparent deviation from the approved plan begins. The plan contemplated that the building would not be dismantled if after 48 hours not all the people had come out. However, the CEVs began knocking holes in the compound the morning of the assault. In other words, they were not going to tear the building down, but now all of a sudden they did. The CEV, not equipped with tear gas, knocks down a corner of the building and a portion of the roof collapsed. Other towers and areas begin to enfold upon itself. The question has always been, did the FBI and the Justice Department contribute in some way to that apocalyptic end? Either by pushing the Davidians to the brink as the assault on the compound progressed, or by doing something that they could have caused the fire. And maybe, ladies and gentlemen, there is a deeper question with what happened to David Koresh and his followers at all. Was there something else that the powers that be needed to have erased from existence? Is it possible that there was something so powerful and so profound beyond what we have been told that the reason this was such a military organized approach, the reason that nothing could be left behind and nothing could be left to chance is because there was a deeper, darker, sinister secret that very few knew about, but the people that did know about it had to have the secret erased. Assistant Attorney Bill Johnson says Congress was misled. There is no question about it. Investigators have concluded that there were a lot, was a lot of blame to go around. Of course, that doesn't do the 70 people that died in that fire any good now. Investigators have always claimed that there were devices used, materials used by the Divinians to start the fire. However, that just does not add up. It certainly doesn't add up to the video that can be seen, and it doesn't add up to what they were trying to do. It just doesn't add up to the facts on the ground. The reality is it has often been overlooked that there was a huge military presence that were there. In fact, the U.S. military and government was actually forced to acknowledge that U.S. military special forces believed to be the Delta Force, were present at Waco. Now let me state that again. It has been officially acknowledged that U.S. military special forces were there on scene at Waco. And surveillance tapes have suspicious gaps that were happened to be discovered at FBI headquarters after they had already been tampered with. So why the tampered uh, video? 
Why the Delta Force? Why was this such an important event that military level of that kind had to be on the scene? I submit to you that the answer to this is there was something far deeper and far more sinister taking place. I submit to you that there was something more than just an overzealous government. There was something more than a draconian government trying to exercise its might and power. I also submit to you that there was something more going on than a crazy cult leader and his following like Jim Jones. I submit to you that there was something dark and sinister and that the full truth has yet to see the light of day. I Thank you. 